Welcome to another Jew and Gentile podcast. I am your host, Chris Katolka, and with me is none other than the Jewish sage himself, the one, the only, Mr. Steve Herzig. How are you, sir? Hey, Chris. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Hey, for our listeners, 424-444-1948. Call, text, I mean, text us your questions about what's going on in Israel with between the Israeli-Hamas war. Steve and I want to answer some of those questions. We've been getting people... Asking us stuff. They ask us on the side. They go, I didn't really want to say this. Hey, text us the questions. We'd love to share them with all of our listeners. Hey, we got a great show for you. Here we go. Just a few other things, too. Be sure to subscribe to our FOI Equip YouTube page. Be sure to subscribe to our, our podcast. Uh, if you're not already a subscriber, um, we are. I'll, I'll drink to that. You'll drink to that, too. Our mug on a mug. And so, uh, yeah, we've got a great show for you. Before we do that, though, I just want to share. We've got uh, our our sponsor, FOI Equip. We've got a great class tonight, Steve. So people can still register for tonight. We have Sarit Katz from Camera, who's going to become and share. She's going to come and share with us number one about media and what. Answer the question. You ready? Does Israel control the media, Steve? <laughs> do they control the media? That's what they all say. <laughs> I I, lo- I would love it if if they could control the media. I would love it because I can tell you if they are doing it, it's not working. No. <laughs> they got bupkis. We got bupkis. You know, I was just with a friend in Dallas and he was saying to me, you know, I feel like he was saying, I think Israel needs to change their PR. Like it's just not working for them in the war. And I said, you know, They've tried every angle with PR and trying to tell people about how how as their army they're the most ethical army in the war in the world. They try their best to make sure that innocent life is preserved uh, while still targeting their enemy. You know they they he goes they're videoing too much. I said they have to video. If they don't video, then they get condemned for not videoing. But now you're telling them they're videoing too much. So again, there's the, Israel can never seem to win the media uh, war. At all. You know, in Isaiah, he talks about good will become bad, bad will become good. For Israel, no matter what they do, it's always the opposite. Yep. It's always the opposite. And, uh, but Chris, I have to ask you, we were, last week we were in Dallas Mm -hmm. and had a wonderful time, Pastor Neil, and one of our listeners, in fact, I am sure he is one of the earliest listeners when we started in September. And you know what he told me, Chris? He oh. said, of all the podcasts, and he's listened to every single one. For that, he I don't know if he gets a medal or he gets uh, put a, into an insane waste, asylum. A waste of time. <laughs> but, but he's listened to all of them. He said, Pastor Neil made it the best podcast of them all. And he said, the three of us should go on the road. I believe that. I texted <laughs> Pastor Neil with the, what our listener said, and, and he said, that's, that's amazing. And, you know, it was a great podcast with Pastor Neil. In fact... First, let me wrap up what I was going to finish. You can still uh, register for Sarit Katz and her her class is Israel Control the Media t- that's airing tonight by going to foiequip.org. And there you can sign up for all of our other classes as well. Uh, and we'll share more about that um, in future episodes. Um, but then also Pastor Neil, Steve, he has stuff that we forgot to talk about. He's we done did. amazing ministry. Uh, he has two things that you can be a part of. Number one, we put all of these in the show notes he has a book out called the the listening road and wait qu- tell how does a person access show notes 
What's that mean? Well, Chris? it's just you know, if you're listening on the podcast or you're watching on YouTube, if you just click the button down at the bottom, it says "Show More." It's just will show you oh, all the things. Okay, yeah. all this time, yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> Welcome, welcome to the podcast, Steve. <laughs> Episode one twenty three. I'm trying to help our listeners here. Wait, well, see, I don't need the show notes because I read the. You stuff. are the show notes. Yeah. yeah. So, but I thought to myself, there's got to be somebody out there who's saying show notes. What what are show notes? Yeah, no, it's all. It's just when you're listening to the podcast, you just hit the little thing that says show more or show more information, and pff, there it is. It pops uh, right up. I like it. And so all the links are there. They let can me click ask on you a question. Do you? Do you think, I feel like your mind has been open to the show notes world right uh, now. I, let me ask you something. Do you think there's a listener out there who probably saw, saw the thing at the bottom but never clicked it? A hundred percent. That's good enough for me. We. I, I don't mind being the guy who's foolish. Show me where the show notes are. Well, that's that's you. Uh, you say that a lot about yourself, actually. That you're the one to kickstart the conversation, and sometimes you might look foolish doing it. You know, I do not mind. It's been my lifelong uh, commitment in a life itself. Exactly. So no, but the show notes are down at the bottom. And Neil, number one, has a book out called The Listening Road, which is a book about his experience of riding his. He's a professional cyclist. I don't know if he would label himself a professional cyclist, but compared to me, he's a professional 30 cyclist. 30 days and 3,000 miles, Chris? He's professional. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> he's the master. He rode his bike from uh, from Santa Barbara. Santa Barbara all the way over to Annapolis, Maryland. So all the way across the country. But here's the best part. See, he could have just ridden his bike, and we all would have said, yay, Pastor Neil, good job. But along the way, he would stop his bike, he'd get off, and have a conversation about the Lord. He'd have a conversation about... Anybody along the way, what's your spiritual what, what's your spiritual life like? And he would just listen. And um, and so that becomes a very important part of this documentary series that he has as well, which again, the link is in the show notes. And uh, you can watch his entire adventure across the country as he's talking with people and they're they're uh, he's getting into serious conversations about the Lord, about where their relationship was with the Lord. And so anyway, it, it was it's a fa- it's a very uh, fascinating um, look at where America is in um, in Christianity or in, sp- in spiritualism to begin with. And so Pastor Neil did a great job doing that. And I encourage you to go to the show notes to find out how you can buy the book and also watch the free, free, free. Free free free, 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 free documentary. Hey, Chris, after riding a hundred miles <laughs> and then talking, hey. I could, I, and that's amazing. But after riding a hundred miles and talking one day, that's amazing. 30 days I, by, well, for me, after the first day, it would be over. Yeah. I wouldn't be talking. I don't even know. I'd if be it, going, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I was saying to him, you know, as we were, because he did this a couple of years ago, but, you know, you start off in Santa Barbara or in, in the San Diego. It's flat when you get started, but you hit the, the San, mountains. You, you hit San Bernardino Mountains right away. You're on a mountain climb, and I, he lives in Dallas, Texas. There's not a mountain in sight in <laughs> Dallas, Texas, where he's training, but... He made it. He can just say, "I made it." It doesn't have to look and pretty, then he but he talked made it. To people, and probably had a he had a smile with us. He probably had a smile and talking. Hey, yeah, I want to have a conversation. I'd be on the ground <laughs> in agony. 
conversation. Take me to the hospital. Uh, exactly, exactly. So if you want to watch the documentary for free and you also want to get Pastor Neil's, uh, Neil's book, The Listening Road, you can go to the show notes and it has the links in there. I hope that you enjoy that. It's a fantastic ministry that he has. And something, uh, you know, we, we agree on the same thing with Pastor Neil. His the, the mission that he has for his church and the mission that we have here at the Friends of Israel is to have conversations about Jesus. That's what it's all about. And so we share that common goal and we're thankful for our time with Pastor Neil in Dallas last week. Love it. Just, we, he he was the best. That was great. Well, and we also, we didn't get a chance to mention this because we did the podcast from there. And then the next day, you and I came in and we did to, to his church, Northwest Bible Church, and we did a, a night of looking at what was going on between Israel. Sunday night. We on, were there Sunday night. And Pastor Neil was saying to us, you know, I don't know how many people are going to come to this. There could be 10. He sounded like one of my people. There might be <laughs> 10, maybe Maybe 15. I'm not really expecting Really much. underselling See, it. Underselling. And, you know, and so before it started at 6 o'clock, and by 6 o'clock it was standing room only. I mean, the place was packed. It was amazing. Great questions. Amazing support from Christians uh, that uh, go to his church for Israel and the Jewish people biblically. People came there to know biblically what's going on. And A the person drove four hours just for that. Yeah. Just for that. It I thought that was amazing. Amazing. I'll give her a shout out. Kay Kizar. She drove from, I think it's a... Uh, I thought it was from Houston. I think it's near there. But she drove up four hours to be a part of that event, which is just amazing. So I hope I hope she was happy with I, it. I, yeah, we don't know how she was driving back saying, what was I thinking? <laughs> I have to drive back four hours now <laughs> for this? All right. Well, hey, uh, we are going to continue our study in Daniel. Uh, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 11. Uh, but Steve, before we get there... Uh, you found you you just found this out as you're going through a book called the Newish Jewish Encyclopedia. So share with us your journey that you just had well, okay. a few moments ago. Okay, so I I want to look up Daniel in the New Jewish Encyclopedia. The Newish Jewish. The Newish Jewish Encyclopedia. And I go to D Daniel before Daniel. Uh I got to get there. Um and what do you think I found under Daniel? First of all, Daniel gets bupkis. Yeah, da Daniel the, the book of Daniel, Daniel the prophet, Daniel the, the who lived a long time in uh, you know was with Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Gives us the seventy weeks, the the story that almost every person in Western civilization knows. Daniel in the, the lion's den. One hundred percent. He gets bupkis. Nothing. So so. <laughs> There is one Daniel in the newish Jewish encyclopedia. You heard of him. I never heard of him. Well, it's a book. It's a book title. Daniel Deronda. Yeah, that's right. Daniel Deronda, which actually is fun history because it was written by George Eliot. And I forget the pen name of, that's the pen name, George Eliot. I forget what the her name is. It was actually a woman who wrote it. D Daniel Deronda. George Eliot. Or George Eliot. Um, and so she wrote this book. And it, it, she's a Christian, and it's all about Jewish people. This is in the 1800s, Jewish people returning to the land. And that's when a man named Eliezer Ben Yehuda reads Daniel Deronda. And he says to his wife, we've got to go to the Holy Land. And it's Eliezer Ben Yehuda, because of that book and other things going on as well, but because of that book, goes to Israel, what was then Palestine at that time. Um, and he is the one who resurrects the Hebrew language. But that's not Daniel the prophet. That's Daniel Deronda. 
And so then, so I now look- we're on a trek. Now we're actually on a journey. Because here's the thing: Dan, uh, Steve is absolutely verklempt that <laughs> that that Daniel, the prophet's name, is not in the newest Jewish encyclopedia. So we start throwing out names: Isaiah, the prophet. No, didn't make it. Moses made it. Moses makes it. Listen to this: Jews for Jesus made it. That's hilarious. Jews for Jesus got a particularly well-known sect of Messianic Jews founded in the early. 1700s. Then you get they go back that far. The yes, early they se- do. Moist Rosen. Yes, they do. 1700s. No, se- 1970s. Oh, sorry. you said 17. Uh, sorry, I was, I was uh, no, say. no, no, you no. Then you said Moist Rosen. I'm going. How old was Moist? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> 1970, 70s. But then Chris, <laughs> Jewish time gets almost a whole half section Wait, on the page. It's called Jewish time. Jewish. Time. When a Jew arrives late somewhere, he may offer up the excuse that he was running on Jewish time. I, <laughs> which, which is I've true. Heard, it's I've true. Heard, I, definitely a term. We disagree. This is just an internalized stereotype. Uh, and it goes on. But there's a kernel of truth in Jewish time. Our simchas, those are blessings. Uh, weddings, bar mitzvahs, funerals, don't start precisely on time. You could say that again. <laughs> well, I love that they try to say it's just a stereotype, but it's not really a stereotype. Because we also say that, too, because we go to a lot of Jewish events, and Steve, they'll say it's from 7 to 9, but you'll get started at 7.45 and leave at 10. So Exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right, so, so we, we also wanted to look up Jesus. We looked up <laughs> We Jesus, the Jewish Jesus. hero. There, there it is. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus gets one line. Jesus Christ. They don't make Jews like him anymore. <laughs> Jews for Jesus got true. more. 100%. It's not they. It's God, obviously, <laughs> who incarnated on the earth. But what do they say? They don't make Jews like him anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, so they leave out a great section of witnesses from uh, from the Bible Daniel, Isaiah, but they did have, we did look up Jonah's in there. Jonah's in there. Job is there. Job. Uh, jo- Joseph is there. Isaac is in there. Isaac is there. But I, I don't understand. Yeah, don't, who is the editor that's going, uh, get Daniel out of here. Uh, and by the way, I, this is a nice little volume. It's not real thick. It's quick. I get it. But come on, Daniel. <laughs> Daniel, gets, Daniel gets buckets. <laughs> Nothing. Well, Steve, let's, let's move from... Daniel getting bupkis to this video that well, you found. That's right. You're talking about witnesses, Chris. Witnesses. Um, witnesses are very important in the Bible. Uh, the book of Acts talks about 500 witnesses who testify that they saw the resurrected Christ. That's that's significant. Mm-hmm. Uh, did it make a big impact? Oh, yeah, the Spirit of God used it. But let's face it, most people... Still don't believe. No, firsthand witness, they don't. And today, I saw on the news that there was an accident that took place in L.A., and I became interested because this person survived a RV accident. So I'll turn it back to you. All right, so the, 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 we'll just set up the, the situation here. They're driving on a very, very uh, busy highway in L.A. County, and I feel like every highway in L.A. County is very busy. And this guy's wife is falling asleep at the wheel in an RV. And just as she's falling asleep, he gets up to go use the bathroom, realizes she falls asleep, and then 
Boom. I, I like, he reaches over. He does reach over to the steering wheel, but it's too late. It's too late. He flies through the window. Yes, he does. And then he lands. I mean, they've got to be going 70, 60, 60 miles. 60 miles an hour. He flies out of the window, and a video catches it as he's rolling down the thing. 175 and, feet he rolls. Uh, it's crazy. And, so, and you could see it all. Oh, I've got on it on video. here right now. So I uh, will show it to you right now. Just unbuckled my seatbelt. It was only unbuckled for five seconds. I noticed my wife had dozed off. So instead of going straight down the 14, we are headed toward the median. And I tried to grab the steering wheel, but before I could grab the steering wheel, we already had impact. The impact threw him out the driver's side window. Aye, he flew see him over rolling. the divider onto a busy 14 freeway in the Newhall area. He was tossed 170 feet as the RV was going roughly 60 miles an hour. All I'm thinking about, I'm going to get hit by a car. I'm on a freeway. I'm on one of the busiest freeways in L.A. County. So what's going through my mind is I'll be dead shortly. That's amazing to me that it's not the rolling at 60 miles an hour for 170 feet. He's like, I'm going to, you know. He's, his mind, he's, thinking he's thinking while this is happening. And he's going, I'm dead, not because of this. I'm dead because a car is going to run me over. Yep. That's yep. In the video, we see as a white SUV swerves out of the way to avoid hitting him. I just drug myself and then I leaned up my back against the media until help could come and help came pretty quick good samaritans good samaritans like alf smithy who pulled over i noticed the guys laying in the road still i was just trying to kind of keep cars away from him he was all the way there that was the shocking part like he, i asked him his name i asked him all kinds of stuff but he was all the way there like he knew he broke his arm he knew he broke his leg Cordell has road rash covering 60% of his body, Aye. multiple broken bones, and 17 stitches. His biggest takeaway? If you didn't think there were a higher power before this, something is Boom. wrong with you. Something because is there wrong. is. And I'm a living witness, and I've got a living testimony to tell. Bada boom. I like that and so a lot. Steve, I'm glad you found that. I am a living witness. Now, let me tell you. Maybe there'll be somebody who saw that who might now think about God. But a living witness to tell this is he's telling you what happened. People are gonna go, uh, forget it. Yeah. I don't believe. It. Well, he's saying I'm a, I'm a living testimony now to to God's providence, his protection, all of those things. And that's exactly what Daniel was. Daniel was a living witness. As he lived his life out, he didn't get thrown from a... Actually, technically, you could say he was thrown in the lion's den. There were moments, I, you know, earlier on as we're going through Daniel, you kind of go, hey, Daniel has found himself in so many times where his life is threatened because of his faith in God. And here he's a living witness to this point now in Daniel 11. Uh, Pastor Neil last week gave a great overview of what we've been going through. And, you know, Daniel was able to... to, to communicate, which is really important, um, the truth of who God is by maintaining a character and maintaining a, a, a love for the Lord and not embracing the culture of the Babylonians or the Persians, which always found it always seemed to get him in trouble. Um, and here we get to a point in, in, in Daniel 11 where Daniel's now telling us historically—not historically, like that he's looking—he's prophetically looking forward, but giving us a account of all these events that happen— play-by-play, play, uh, moving from the Persian Empire ultimately to the, the Greek Empire and then beyond, really. And wouldn't you think that Daniel, who talked to with Nebuchadnezzar and told him what's going to happen, and it did exactly? Uh, it's interesting. Uh, we've been, I've been using the Most High God 
uh, from Rennie Showers, a commentary on the book of Daniel. We have it here at Friends of Israel, FOI.org, if you want to go to our bookstore uh, and pick it up. That's in the show notes, too. Oh, it's in the show notes. There you go. See, I didn't even know that. Um, Your book is in the show notes. I didn't know that either. See? Uh, okay, so let me just read the first uh, part of a paragraph here because it sets the stage for probably why in the newish Jewish encyclopedia, Daniel didn't make it because they just say he's a historian. That's what biblical scholars say. He's, he lived after all these things happen and he's writing about them. That's right. But the context of the book is that it's prophetic. And so let, let me just read Chris, if I may, from uh, Rennie's book. He says, the first major section, chapter 11, verses 2 to 35, of the new revelation given by Christ to Daniel has been one of the most controversial portions of Scripture. After tracing in survey fashion four Persian rulers and Alexander the Great of Greece, the passage gave specific details concerning the Ptolemies of Egypt, the Seleucids of Syria, the rulers of two major divisions of Alexander's Grecian kingdom. Because of the mass of specific detail, that have been fulfilled so accurately, destructive critics have argued that this portion of Daniel could not have been written in Daniel's day, many years before the events described. Yeah. So they're skeptical. Uh, they they don't believe that this is prophetic. Yet the the book itself, the everything about it, and I believe some archaeological evidence is even proven that it is. Yeah, you know, we already have shown that Daniel, it's not It's not technically a chronological book. They're Daniel's uh, accounts that are laid out throughout the book. And so these are uh, stories of Daniel, accounts of Daniel. It doesn't mean they're not true. They're very, they're all true. They're inspired by God, but they were laid out in a way and they didn't come after the event. Uh, they came before the event looking forward. And it's only because of the, the prophetic accuracy of it that you get this, this sense of criticism toward the prophecy. But this has happened in the past, too, where high critics of the Bible, especially— what, Define what you—because uh, I always found that to be— A high critic? A high critic. High critic. A critic— What's that mean? High critic. We might just label them more of a liberal outlook on the Bible— which means they they feel as though they'll they'll say God's word is not inerrant and it's not inspired. It's a historical text and it needs to be treated as such. Like it needs to be held up um, and examined the same way you would examine any literature. Other yeah, you put it up against any of the ancient literature of that time, um, and it's okay to judge it, and that's fine. Uh, the thing is that's amazing is that the Bible keeps showing itself to be trustworthy as you continue to criticize it. You know, and one of the ways that's interesting is. Um, there were many scholars prior to the find of the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1947 that were high critics that were trying to say, hey, look, the earliest Old Testament that we have in Hebrew, uh, this is prior to 1947, the earliest Old Testament we have comes from 1000 AD. Uh, I believe it's Codex Aleppo um, was this Hebrew Bible, but the, it's only from the 1000 AD. Okay, so now they start to go, Christians have played with the Bible. And so those prophecies of uh, virgin birth and him being born, Jesus being born in Bethlehem and all these, these were all inserted, Isaiah 53, 
they're all inserted into the text by Christians. So when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, they said, ah, finally, a pre-Christian Hebrew Bible that we're going to look at and we're going to show you just how different it is from the what the the modern day Hebrew Bible looks like, even whether Jewish read, readers read it or Christian. We're going to show you how different it is to disprove all of those prophecies. Another witness. Another, the text itself. Is a witness. Exactly. And who do we, t- when we go to Israel, where do we go, Chris? We go to Qumran. We go to the Qumran community where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. Cave 4 is where you look into. You can see it. Uh, and so what they found out is they were interpreting and or, or translating all of these biblical texts is, oh, there is Isaiah 53. It's right there. All oh, of it. All of it. There is Micah 5 to the virgin birth, I mean, the uh, Bethlehem uh, uh, prophecy. There is uh, uh, Isaiah 7, 14. All of the prophecies are in there of a coming Messiah. So you have to imagine this was written about 200 years, you know, and onward, about 200 years earliest, 250 years before Jesus is when the Dead Sea Scrolls started to be written. Um, and uh, so... You have these early, 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 early texts now that are pointing to the fact that these prophecies did exist, but high critics were excited. They were excited to show us that the Bible is actually very flawed, and the one that we have now doesn't even look like the one Jesus would have been using, or whatever the case might be. You know, Chris, um, back in the day when I was living in Chicago, I used to go on University of Chicago campus, and back in the early, early 1900s, actually right after 1800s, uh, before that, there was no Ur. There was no Ur. Ur of the Chaldees, Abraham. Ah, it's just a uh, figmentation of your imagination. And all of a sudden, they find it. And you could go to the University of Chicago, at least back then, they had a, a, a building devoted to the Ur Finding um, yes, that's amazing. And you, so, no, there's Abraham, all fictional. Boom, another witness. The same thing happened to um, Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate, the, the good one. Yeah, the critics, and even there into the eighties, uh, and I think they, uh, I think maybe even the early nineties, they were saying, how can this prominent figure in Roman society, Pontius Pilate, who was a governor of Judea, uh, how, why is it? Why don't we find him on any? Uh, of the Roman newspapers that we find from the day. Why isn't his name on any inscription anywhere? The only place his name is found is in the Bible, so he must be made up. And they started, people wrote papers about this. He must be made up. He's not anywhere else. And so if you don't have a Pontius Pilate, you you definitely are taking out one of the legs of the gospel. You got the Sarah's. passion account. Exactly. And so what happens is they're in Caesarea Maritime, um, which is on the Mediterranean Sea. Beautiful spot. Amazing spot, where actually the the uh, prefects of Judea would were, were there, was their headquarters. And so the archaeologist— a nice little villa I, on, the, it, on the Mediterranean. The blue water, is espresso, <laughs> he's living the dream. That's right. And so he, the archaeologists, just a few decades ago, lift up one of the stones that were repurposed for a road. And on the bottom, they found uh, Pontius Pilatus— you know, prefect of Judea, and it's inscribed on the stone. Boom! There he is, a, a, a proof of uh, Pontius Pilate's uh, existence. Uh, once again, proving the Bible is real. This happens witnesses. a lot. Witnesses. That's the th- witnesses. Just like we had the gentleman who uh, g- fell out of his RV at sixty miles an hour. 
is telling you, I'm a witness. Yep. The pages of the scripture, even in the face of doubters all over the place, is a living, well, the word is living. So we could say a living witness. A hundred percent. And so when you go through Daniel 11, you're actually seeing these events unfold prophetically for Daniel, historically for us, unfold with almost an eerie uh, um, uh, uh, exactness to what would happen um, before Daniel. So it's amazing when you're able to look at this. Let me just read the first four verses, and then we'll comment on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay? Okay. Also, the first year of Darius the Mede, I, even I, stood up to confirm and strengthen him. And now I will tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings will arise in Persia, and the fourth shall be far richer than them all. By his strength, through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Greece. Then a mighty king shall arise, who shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. And when he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken up and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not among his posterity, nor according to his dominion with which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be uprooted even for others besides these. Can I say, when you're reading through Daniel 11, it's amazing because your focus technically isn't on Israel and the Jewish people in that moment. What's going on is, as you read through Daniel 11 until we get to a certain spot, is the events that are surround, like literally sandwiching Israel. Because what happened is we moved from the Persian kings of of of, of uh, Cyrus the Great to Cambius to Guatama to Darius the First to Xerxes, who is uh, Ajuerus, which is where we get the story of Esther from, and then that kingdom falls and it gives way in verse three to Alexander the Great, who we've talked about before, who ends up not only defeating the Persian Empire but expanding his kingdom and making the Persian Empire even bigger, but he doesn't even make it back to Greece. He's talking about world events. Huge world events. Not wor- not world history, but world prophecy. That's right. Uh, and, it, and Israel is the center, but this is a Jewish prophet speaking about what, what is, we believe God is doing providentially in the world. And Chris, that's important today. A hundred percent. Today... God is behind the scenes orchestrating, staging whole countries. So when we watch the news, we can identify with Daniel in a sense. Daniel didn't have turn on the news, uh, CNN or Fox or or MSNBC. No, but he had access to the big mahars of he, that time who I'm a, sure were giving him information that most of the people were not privy to at that exactly. time. Exactly. And so I think, I, it, it, keep going. I think this is significant. Well, then what hap- What I want to say is it's actually the whole, Daniel 11 is working, like Steve said, from this big global picture of, of Alexander the Great's um, huge empire but what's going to happen is you begin to focus in slowly, slowly, slowly on historical events that will ultimately drop us right in Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem becomes the centerpiece of a huge dispute that will make its way out in in the in the story of Alexander the Great's kingdom. Because after he dies around 330, uh, 320, uh, sorry, 333, no, wait, wait, 323 BC, Alexander the Great's kingdom gets divided four different ways among his generals, which we talked about, Cassander, Lysimachus, Seleucus, and Ptolemy. These four take 
on various areas of the kingdom. The problem is, Steve, you would think that these guys would say, hey, thank goodness, I get a plot of land, you get a plot of land, you get a plot of land, you get a plot of land. No, they start fighting over the land. Greek fighting against Greek that was once a unified kingdom under Alexander the Great. Now they're fighting, and the text focuses in on the two generals that are fighting with Israel in the center. And literally, Israel is in the center of this fight between the Ptolemies in the south and the Seleucids in the north. The Seleucids are modern-day Syria. Down south in Egypt is Ptolemies. And there, right in the middle is Israel. Now, when you hear that kind of talk, most Jewish people, when you talk about the Ptolemies and the Seleucids, uh, many Jewish people know about—they might not know all of the history, but that uh, that alludes for—it's alluding to uh, Hanukkah. Yep. That, uh, you know, and you just passed over uh, the Book of Esther as well. Uh, this history is big-time stuff for Jewish people. We have to have hamantaschen, and we have to have our potato latkes. <laughs> and so it's, it's pretty important for us. Well, what's that saying that you have? Uh, we're almost killed and exterminated. Uh, let's eat to it. <laughs> yeah, they hate Jews. They attack. We're almost dead. We survive. Let's eat. <laughs> That's exactly what happens. So you can read through uh, um, Daniel 11. I'm going to try to post this in our show notes, Steve. This great chart that kind of highlights the historical components to each verse. But really what it does is it drives us down to verse 21 with an event that takes place with a king that comes from the north. His name's Antiochus Epiphanes. And uh, we don't have much time. Actually, Steve, I'm wondering if we should dedicate this to next week with Antiochus Epiphanes. Well, we already know it's Hanukkah. We we, we already know uh, what happened at Hanukkah. Uh but I think instead of centering on Hanukkah, I I think, Chris, what we should do next week is bridge Antiochus Epiphanes, because that's what Daniel does, to a place in the book of Daniel where it doesn't say gap time, but there seems to be a gap because a person arises who's kind of like Antiochus Epiphanes, only worse. Exactly. There is a There are moments, as you're going to see, and we'll we'll talk about it again next week, where we're following this historical account of Antiochus Epiphanes. We know these events happened, but then all of a sudden these things start happening in Daniel that did not happen. And so we're going to see a transition, and even Jesus is going to show us that there's still a uh, one like an Antiochus Epiphanes who will appear in the future as well. So we'll talk more about that. Hey, um, Steve, I want to ask you a question before we move on from Daniel, and it's this. You know, how should a Christian approach making sure that they don't read their Bible through the lens of media. You know, we're like we were talking about, we're talking about global events, God's moving in the global events, Israel's in the middle of it. Here we are, 2024, global events are happening, big global events are happening. Israel is still at the center of it. How do we make sure we're not looking at the Bible through the headlines, but the headlines through the Bible? It's always the context of the text itself and look from the text outward. What usually happens, and it, it, it happens with actually believers who love prophecy, they read something in the newspaper. Uh, hardly anybody reads newspapers anymore, but they on, on their uh, device, their feed, their news, and they say, oh, look, this must be, and then they pick something out of the Scripture. It's, you don't go backwards. It's the same problem, Chris, I think, where Christians read their Bible from right to left, from Revelation yeah. back to Genesis, 
when Chris, actually, we should be reading left to right. Start with Genesis and take the text all the way through the other way. You could run into problems going from the back to the front because you're using the New Testament as the foundation. And Chris, the New Testament would have never been written had it not been for the Old Testament. That's right. So you know, I one time we spoke at a uh, I spoke at a conference in uh, in Canada. Great people, but one guy came up to me after I got done speaking. He said, "When are you guys going to talk about North Korea?" <laughs> and I thought, "What? What? <laughs> what does North Korea have to do with the Bible? You know, with with the you were probably in Ezekiel talking and, about the dry bones, uh, and he's just yeah. in North Korea. Well, North Korea. But that's the thing is that that there when you have biblical literacy." I think that's important is that Christians need to be in their Bible. When they're in their Bible, then you can have a biblical worldview on things. If you're just reading the newspaper and you're a Christian but you don't read the Bible, then I think you're going to be swept away by the the back and forth of what the newspapers and the journalists are writing and not what the word of God which we just were sharing earlier is a constant living testimony to the faithfulness of God and the fact that he has everything under control. Uh, that's uh, that's big to be. So anyway, no question. All right, let's move to the news, Steve. You've got some good ones lined up here. I want to start here because we were laughing at this one. Billionaire investor Steve rails against bleep for brains <laughs> students. Yeah, we can't say we it can't over say our that airways. one exactly. Bleep for brains students who think the river to the sea means the Hudson. <laughs> Hudson River he's talking about. Hudson River to the Nile. That's that's what they're saying. It's hilarious. Omega Family Office Chairman Leon Cooperman sounds off on anti-Semitic public displays, particularly on college campuses, Steve. Well, he's against these students who get this stuff from the campus. Let, let, Let me just read. I think in that program, I said that the college kids today have uh, not too good for brains. And let me elaborate on why I said that. Number one, I hear these kids think that they're talking about the Hudson River or the Nile River. They don't understand it is the Jordan River, he said of the students chanting from the river to the sea mantra that calls for the eradication of the Jewish state. And then he says, Cooperman said that the students must understand that Israel is the only democracy in the Middle East and that when interest groups hold signs reading gays for Palestine, they must understand that Israel is likely the only Mideast nation where homosexuality is not outlawed or punished. It's true. It's 100%. true. If you hold that sign up in Gaza, you're done. You're done. You're done. I mean, you hold that up in Iran, you're done. You hold that up in Iraq, you're done. They. It's. It really is what we're talking about, what we just talked about. Is that if you're a lot of these students, they get their news from TikTok and TikTok is the algorithms are anti-Israel. We like they're proving these things. And so when all you're doing is scrolling through TikTok and listening to your professor at Harvard University or wherever, who's probably funded by a a Muslim uh, out in the Middle East. A hundred percent. But Chris, I saw a video of an Orthodox man uh, toe to toe with a Palestinian man, this is in the United States, both yelling at each other, by the way, a a normal thing in the Middle East, (laughs) yelling and screaming. The Palestinian man was saying how Israel is horrible, that they're not compassionate, they're they're doing all kinds of atrocities. The Orthodox man with the yarmulke said, let me ask you a question. How many Jewish people are in Palestine? 
whether it's Gaza or how, how many Jews do they allow? In Israel, we have 25% Arabs. How many? And you won't, you say, you won't answer. You won't answer. We, we, have, we allow Arabs in our country. You allow no Jews yep. at all. But again, that's a living witness. 100%. We, somehow this has taken on I a, know. a theme here. I need to write that down to make sure I, I title our episode A Living Witness. Living Witness. That's right. Uh, it's, it's true. And here's an example of college students who come in, they hear a bunch of fairy tales, and they mimic it all the time. All day long. And then, But then it's, you know, it's one thing to get bad information, but then you just sit on your couch and you go, ah, whatever. These people are activated. They're, it's not only are they being educated poorly, but then they're also being taught by activist uh, professors. They're being activated in order to take their lies, their stupidity. I mean, honestly, it's misinformation. It's fake news. And what they do is they end up going down to rallies or they end up, you know, siding with people that they probably typically wouldn't side with depending on what their actual beliefs are about how things should be. And so anyway, it's just an interesting situation that we're but living in right in now. that's in the show notes. <laughs> that's in the show notes. Exactly. Steve, you go look for those there. All right, here we go. Uh, Breitbart has uh, surrender. Blinken tells Netanyahu Israel cannot defeat Hamas. Secretary of State Antony Blinken told Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu last week that Israel cannot defeat Hamas, There is uh, that there is no, quote, military solution, and that Israel will have to accept a Palestinian state. You know, I mean, talk about, hey, just give up. You know, yep. just give up. Do I think that they're going to defeat Hamas? Yeah, I do think they can defeat Hamas. But do I think Hamas will just come right back again? It's an ideology. They will. It will come back again. It will be funded again. There's money to be made there. And uh, they will do, they have an ideology to, Eliminate Israel and the Jewish people, and there's people who will pay money to do that. Of course it will come back again. But that doesn't mean you should just go, as uh, as our, our good friend Steve Herzig likes to always say, Zygazunt, live and be well. You can't just say Zygazunt to a situation like this. No, no. But you know what's interesting? After you read that paragraph, read what, it's, read what Netanyahu said. Where is that? Netanyahu uh, reportedly rejected the idea. <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> good. That, that's... You know what? Thank you, Mr. Blinken. Forget about it. You know, it's interesting. I'm just seeing here, too, that um, on the next page, it says, according to Gallup, nearly two-thirds of Israelis now oppose a Palestinian state, given what Hamas did to them and to Gaza, and given to the pro-terror sympathies of corrupt Palestinian authority, which governs the Palestinians in the West Bank. This is so fascinating to me because one of my arguments over the past several years has been a real, a real statistic. That 60% of Israelis want the Palestinian people to have a Palestinian state. 60%. You could win the vote. Boom. It's yours. And they've shown that. They've tried to give the Palestinians a Palestinian state over and over and over and over again. But now it's come to the point where the common Israeli that probably once had sympathies towards the Palestinians, wanted them to have dignity, wanted them to have their own state, their own sovereignty, their own self-determination— now what happens? Now they're going two, two out of three say, nope, not going to happen on my time. Not while I'm listen, here. Listen what the article says. But Blinken faces two obstacles to his telling Netanyahu that, of course, they can't defeat up, uh, Hamas. One, that Israel believes that they are, in fact, capable of winning the war. That's number one. And that, that they are doing so right now. And two, that the Palestinians themselves do not want a state more than they want to destroy Israel, meaning a state is doomed 
to fail. 100%. That's that's the situation that we're looking at right now. And we'll wait to keep we'll wait to see what's going on and we'll keep uh, reporting the news. Um, last one here, and I'm not surprised by this. I saw this the other day as Steve uh, posted this in our text group that him and I have together. Gaza tunnels stretch at least 350 miles, far longer than past estimate, report says. Senior Israeli defense officials tell New York Times that there are some 5,700 separate shafts Think leading to Hamas. Think about that, Chris. 5,700 and 5,700 separate shaft leading to these tunnels. They're like it. The whole Gaza is 25 miles long and about five miles wide, and they got 350 miles <laughs> of tunnels. It's unbelievable. Well, I want to see really quick. I'm, I'm looking up on our map here. I want to see, you know, we're near Philadelphia, and uh, it takes a long time to get from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh, but I'm trying to think of how far that actually is miles. Let's see if it, okay, it is 304 miles. From Philadelphia to Pittsburgh, it's a six, five-hour drive from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh, and there's still more miles of Gaza tunnels than there is to drive across the Pennsylvania Turnpike from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh. That's really a good idea that you did that, because that's where the hostages are. They're in this tunnel network, and Israel hasn't been able to find them yet. And you would think in a strip of land so small, but underground— they're running around like ants and trying to find them with that kind of uh, uh, of structure is extremely difficult. A hundred percent. And so, uh, the, the, it, you know, Israel Israelis have not been in Gaza for 15 years plus. Um, and so this is the first time they've been on the ground as they're they're doing this operation. Of course, they've had spies in there, I'm sure, and they've had surveillance going on, but They've not had anybody down in the tunnel, so this is a big revelation to them for what the Hamas has been doing for the past 15 years. Hey, listen, everybody, Yiddish word of the day. Well, with all the prophecy that Daniel gives this general and that general, and they're fighting, so Chris, we have in Yiddish war. 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 What's it good for? Absolutely <laughs> nothing. That's what they say. But in Yiddish, we say Dekrieg. Dekrieg. Dekrieg is war. There's a lot of war going on in Daniel 11. The Greeks are fighting one another. The Greeks are fighting the Persians. And then the Greeks are fighting who? Israel, the Jewish and people. And there's a lot of war going on now. Exactly. So there's some Dekrieg. Dekrieg is our Yiddish Dekrieg. word of the day. Oh, that's great. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for being a part of the Jew and Gentile podcast. Steve and I got a scoot because we got a meeting. We can't have fun all day. Uh, but uh, hey, be sure to go to foyequip.org and there you can register for our upcoming class on answering the question does Israel control the media with Sarit Katz you gotta come to find out hey also you know that we have a new website thejewandgentile.org we'll talk about that next week go to your show notes go to your show notes read your show notes hey thanks so much for being a part of what's going on here at the Friends of Israel through the Jew and Gentile podcast we'll see you next week